0: On that riff party 3000. My name is Dan. I'm your host for Eventually Super Train. I hope you enjoyed those opening riffs. They don't really have anything to do with the show itself. I just wanted to riff you right at the start. So, Eventually Super Train, short lived TV show podcast. I'm your host. There will be other hosts. You're going to enjoy yourself. We are discussing three episodes of three short lived TV shows today. Starting off, myself talking The Last Precinct, episode four. Then Amy the Conqueror, myself talking Erie, Indiana, episode four. And then a brand new old show with a returning guest host. I'm not going to tell you anything about it. In fact, we're just going to hop right into The Last Precinct. Precinct, Episode 4, Never Cross a Vampire, May 2nd, 1986, written by Paul Birnbaum, directed by Michael Lance. This one is about, apparently, a vampire in the 56th Precinct who is stealing uh, folks, well, st- yeah, stealing folks, kidnapping folks who have uh, AB negative blood, and it could be The evil Richard Lynch living in a house up on a hill with a strange Igor-esque servant who grows and shrinks depending upon where we are in the episode. And there's lots of craziness with blood banks and running around and insanity and... um. Wingshauser's Hauser's character, whose name I never remember, but I'm going to give this name to you now. His name is Lieutenant Hobbs. It he says he's joining the FBI, and there's an FBI joke with Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. For a second, I was hoping it was a '77 Sunset Strip joke, but no, duh, it's FBI. <laughs> uh, but uh, and there's, but it turns out he uh, Wings Hauser may not be actually going to the FBI, and also there is a, a TV crew, uh, well, a guy with the mic and a camera following, uh, well the a guy with a mic and then a guy with a camera following the gang around and not really encountering much but trying to encounter much. And, of course, the reporter kicks up the hyperbole when it gets to, there's a vampire running around town. Well, it's a great moment where was it? Price uh, says to the reporter, please, stop it right now. You can't go around saying, there's a vampire running around town. And then immediately it cuts to a TV screen with Price on it going, there's a vampire running around town. <laughs> Look at how he made me sound. Last episode had a mummy in it. This episode has a vampire in it. I think that's pretty good. Uh, and the next episode is called A Ghost of a Chance. So, mm-hmm, they they know where their bread is buttered. I mean, especially you want a goofy episode about a vampire right before a Miami Vice episode where Crockett and Tubbs go after some modern-day pirates. And later that evening, Dr. Ruth and Ozzy Osbourne host Friday Night Videos. And Joan Rivers guest hosting the tonight show, welcomes on Mark Harmon. Those are all the things in the in the closing credits as they were going. I should check those more. I always I always used to like those when I was doing that with cliffhangers and stuff to check the closing credits to see what was happening next. And I mean I like that. there's a Miami Vice joke in here when, when Sun Butch and Sundance uh, enter the uh the the precinct. They've got this woman with them who was bitten on the neck and they're both dressed like Miami uh Crockett and Tubbs and the Miami Vice music sort of keeps playing and it's 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 fun. I was never a Miami Vice fan. Again, as as I've said many times, uh I just wasn't into hour-long television at this time, and whenever I saw Miami Vice, I remember the few times I saw it, it just made me tired. And this was around the time of Sledgehammer, which was a half hour and didn't make me tired, and Last Precinct, which mostly doesn't make me tired. This episode is fairly manic, though. Uh, and it was it was funny, as I was watching the episode, I thought, oh, they're not... There's no reference to Mel uh, and her sex change. Uh, you know, her gender reassignment. And... Uh, pardon me and um, well that's what they would have called it then I, I don't know i'm 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 waffling but there's no reference to that the fact that mel was once a man until the end when you learn that uh wingshauser got a transfusion from mel and now he thinks he's he's he says i got a transfusion from a she male and i thought really I, I don't think i'd ever heard that term used on uh, on television at that time um but there you have it. Well, it's Wings Hauser says it, and so maybe he can get away with it. Hauser can get away with it. Let's see, there's some great stuff in this with Adam West's character, uh, uh, who's the name of it? It's getting Captain Wright, uh, who is going all out for this vampire thing. And then Raid at one point gets bitten by a cat that they think is a vampire. And Alphabet says, if you get bit by the vampire, then you're going to become a vampire. And Raid lets out a howl, and there's a pause. And, and Adam West says that was more of a werewolf. There are a few moments in this episode that, that border closer to me laughing out loud than there have been in previous episodes, and one that did make me laugh out loud, and I hesitate to ruin it, but I will say it involves a scene with the gang sneaking through a graveyard and um, the response by someone they meet there. I won't, I won't ruin it, but it's Possibly the first time I actually laughed out loud and said to my wife, look at this. And she looked at it and she saw it and she laughed out loud too. I, I think the thing with Stephen J. Connell shows, I mean, I, I haven't watched much A-Team, but I remember it having wackiness in it with all the characters having slight wacky moments and, and uh, sort of Rockford Files having bits of humor in it. I, I, Rockford Files is one of my favorite shows of all time. Um, Almost top 10-ish. I don't know, I never... I never get these lists right, because, like, you know, I if I include a show like Doctor Who, which ran for, well, which is still running, but th- uh, we're at 37 uh, seasons now or whatever, I include a show like Green Acres uh, or uh, Columbo, you know, if I include shows like that, but then I include a show like Search, or I include maybe a show like Bourbon Street Beat, a show like Police Squad, well, Police Squad, I don't know, because of the Naked Guns but it's 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 uh you know in, including a show that ran for six years and and has has a huge backlog of episodes and things as opposed to a show that has eight episodes I don't know if you can compare the two it would be like saying my favorite bands are i don't know my my favorite uh, yeah let, let me <laughs> I, my favorite bands are the rolling stones and thunderclap newman you know a band that's released i don't know how many albums of the stones put out like two dozen or more actual studio albums since 63 64 and thunderclap newman put out one album at the end of the 60s I, I guess you can compare them i guess they work i don't know but uh what was i talking about was i still talking about miami vice mel no something great i bet so anyway oh yeah, so it's the rockford Files. so so even even when comedy ish stuff happens there i i'm amused but i rarely laugh out loud and i think that's the way to describe stephen j Cannell's style of comedy it's amusing the last precinct is amusing uh at its worst it's it it occasionally gets dull with the pacing where you kind of can tell where it's going And you want it to get there. Um, Occasionally it's monotonous when they have, you know, like there's a wacky chase through the hospital and they speed everybody up, and, and Captain Wright stands in the middle of everything with his whistle, traffic, you know, directing traffic of people running by. And there's some amusing bits, especially uh, a guy in a raid runs into like an orderly who accidentally lets go of an old guy in a wheelchair, and the old guy in the wheelchair flies towards the camera and does the most gloriously fake blah you've ever seen. And that, that was pretty fun. Okay, I guess I laughed out loud twice in this episode. I think that was just the time, though, is that when I think of... You know, I was—I've said this before. What I was seven when the eighties began, seventeen when it ended, and there were very few sitcoms in the eighties or comedies on television. Not comedies in the theater. There were plenty I laughed at in the theater, but comedies on television—not counting like British sitcoms and things—but uh, but actual American shows that were meant to be funny. Very few that I laughed at. I laughed quite a bit at Sledgehammer. Uh, night court was one that used to make me laugh quite a bit i like that that the, the second half of the 80s lineup i never watched the Cosby show I, the only time i watched family ties is right after back to the future i watched uh family ties for two or three months uh cheers cheers i've watched more now than i have it always it made me laugh but it always seemed more uh, too adult to me and night court was the one that made me laugh out of those but i mean obviously when the 80s well no this would it it would be like ninety one, ninety two, around the time of Erie Indiana, when Simpsons started getting really funny. But most sitcoms in the eighties were just like vehicles for gags you'd heard before and the laugh track or the studio audience would go off and you'd sit there amused. And hopefully you liked the characters. And it, it makes for it makes for a tricky thing because when, when you go when I go back to 80s sitcom like if I go back to Green Acres, I could pick out an episode that's funny. I think i go back to the 70s i could pick out a happy days of laverne and shirley or a bob newhart that'll make someone uh, laugh a bit uh, but the 80s most of the sitcoms i'd pick apart from the obvious ones say like your cheers um most of the sitcoms that i love from that time if i put them on i'm gonna sit with people and we're not gonna laugh once throughout the half an hour uh just because that's the way they are you know you get to like the characters you get to know the characters and then you don't laugh much. I mean, that's not the point. I think the thing with Last Precinct is the same thing. It's meant to be an amusing hour of television right before Miami Vice came on and things got tough and pastel. And what season was Miami Vice in at this point? A f- second one? Oh, so I think it was still going strong, right? I think, maybe? mm but yeah, that's like Stephen J. Cannell and, and sitcoms and comedies of the time were amusing. I mean, Police Squad obviously is fall, fall on your butt funny. And like I said, Sledgehammer has its moments. Night Court always appealed to me because I just liked it. It was silly and a little naughty and a little farcical and, and fun. I liked the characters in it. But that was really, I mean, I'm sure I could come up with more sitcoms that I loved in the 80s because there were plenty of shows that I loved in the 80s. But, but most of them were amusing. Like the last precinct is now. What it comes down to is it is it amusing enough for you to stay tuned in? Well, I think if, if the show had stayed like this, now we still have uh, three episodes left. But if the show stayed like this, with kind of this vague characterization and just being crazy and wacky, I think we would have run out of steam very quick. If we don't already run out of steam by the end, and it wouldn't have been that great. There would have been had to, there would have had to been something else going on. But who knows? Maybe something that will happen in the next um, three three episodes. But overall, I think this episode is is kind of overcomplicated in the way it tells its story. It could there, there's a lot going on, so it's never boring. Although, like I said, the chase to the hospital by the end gets to be a bit, uh, you know. There's the lady who looks like the bride of Frankenstein, and there's the um, the grave digger, and there's the the strange servant, and there's Richard Lynch being creepy as always. And not, not always, but but much of the time he was And There's a lot of other fun stuff too Like I said, um, Adam West's character being gung-ho about the vampires And holding up a picture of a big bat You're like, hey, Adam West holding up the bat picture But uh, this was around the time he was in Zombie Nightmare, wasn't it? I think, yeah Yeah, so, so I mean, it's, it's a fun episode It actually has, I think, a couple laughs um, In the end In the end, I was... I was semi gung ho. I think I preferred "I Want My Mummy" to this one, but I like this one more than I think I probably like this one a bit more than the TV movie and a bit more than uh, Mr. Cold. Right? Was that it? The one with Arbitrano. Uh, I think I think this is a pretty good one. Not not absolutely at the top, but a pretty good one. It's got some fun stuff in it. I wish it had gone a little more gung ho. With the vampire thing, it, it, it kind of plays it up at times, brings it down at other times. And, eh, it gets a little iffy for me. But generally, I liked it. Let me just go there. I'm just looking at my notes real quick right here. Yeah, the when they mentioned Ephraim Zimbalist Jr., I I thought, oh, 77? No, that's right. Uh, FBI. I do like the reporter saying to Night Train who got him to come to the precinct to do this. And it's funny. When? 86, 80, 85, 86, 86, 87? I think, I forget when the first season of Sledgehammer was. I think it was 86, 87, 87, 88. But the second episode of Sledgehammer is a very amusing one by uh, Mike Reese and Al Jean about uh, Sledgehammer, uh, Sledge and Doro having to bring a reporter along, which is is pretty amusing. Uh, But... Oh there's a bit yeah the, the and the reporters looking at the gang because uh when uh Night Train and uh uh Price show up uh the King is putting on a little impromptu uh uh number a uh, single Johnny be good and dancing all around the King gets enough stuff to do for you King fans there's a there's a great moment where um they're they're fo- trying to find the vampire Richard Lynch in the in the, in the um in the uh, in the hospital and you just see the king elvis pop his head up behind a hospital from behind a hospital bed and then the richard lynch is a vampire pops his head up from another part of it it's like oh hey elvis and the vampire that would have been the bubba Tep sequel that we never got Oh, and I forgot, and Amanda will get mad at me, because I think we've been unable to find this TV movie from 1979, I think it was October 79, called Vampire, with Richard Lynch playing a modern-day vampire, well, who's been around for centuries. It sounds to me very much like a variation of um, uh, the Cliffhangers, Curse of Dracula segment, which I love. Yeah, it's Richard Lynch as a vampire being chased by vampire hunters, and as far as I know, it's... it's, uh, uh, very tough to find or um, unavailable. I, I would like to find it. Now, having said that, it's probably uh, like you can probably watch it in eight points online, eight points online right at this moment. But still, so I think that's about it. So Miami Vice and mm-hmm, the Vampire Cat. That was a funny bit. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, I think. I think it's a fun episode. Um, I I think it's it's uh, it it like the Grill Graham and i want my mummy is as close to great as i think this show could get where it is at this moment i think if it developed in a way or they, they could sharpen the humor uh, then oh Stephen Botchko did the vampire tv movie by the way sorry if i said if they could sort of sharpen the humor make it a little sharper make it a little tighter then i think this would be brilliant show but as it is it's a bit too uh, sort of flabby um Having said that, it does start off with a shot, uh, a shot camera pulling in on a cop standing there. And you see the badge. And and we get uh, tonight in an e- on screen ton- and spoken tonight in an effort to educate you, the viewer, or hopefully viewers, with actual police procedure. The last precinct takes you along on a real-life, not made-up police case. File number 41785, uh, real-life, not made-up. And then when it pulls in on the badge, which falls off the uniform, the last precinct, we're looking for a few good people because what we've got isn't working. I think that's as good a place as any to end. And that was funny too. So we get three genuine nice laughs in the episode plus some smiles and chuckles, some chuckles and laughs. And let us go here. Get lucky sometime. I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I I wanted to break into some song there, but I I'm kind of sick, and the moment I tried to hit a note, it went horrible. So I apologize. However, however, the what I just saying ties in with what we're about to talk about here. Uh, episode four of Erie, Indiana called The Losers, which aired on October 6, 1991, directed by Joe Dante, his third episode, story by Gary Markowitz and Michael R. Perry, teleplayed by Gary Markowitz, and I am sitting here with my good friend, the great, the mighty, the wonderful, the all-everything-for-everyone, Amy the Conqueror. How are you, Amy?
1: <laughs> I'm good, Dan. How are you?
0: I'm doing, doing all right. Apart from this, uh, <clears throat> I, I, I took some cold medicine. I think I'm going to be all right for the recording, but if I start to go raspy then um, that might be fun. I don't know. But would you please do the honors <laughs> of uh, breaking down this episode for us?
1: Sure, absolutely. Um, as you said, this episode is called The Losers. And in this episode, uh, things start going missing in Erie, and especially Marshall's father's things. He loses his briefcase, which wasn't just you know, for work. He had an important project in there, a petroleum-based banana extract, because he's some sort of inventor of all things. It was also the briefcase itself was an anniversary gift of from his wife. Marshall sees that his parents are arguing and his father had been losing a bunch of stuff during the week, so he realizes this is, you know, eerie Indiana type of stuff, you know, something weird was going on. Marshall, who was worried about his father losing his job if he doesn't get his project from the briefcase and his parents getting divorced because they've been arguing, um, decides that him and Simon should go looking for the briefcase. And they figured the best way to find something lost is to follow something lost. So they figure luggage gets lost, and so they stuff Marshall in a in a suitcase, like uh, <laughs> or a chest of some sort. And lo and behold, he gets lost, and he ends up in like an underground government uh, bunker type place um, known as the Bureau of Lost. There he meets Mr. Lodgepool. And he's played by Henry Gibson, and his partner is, is named Al. He's up above. He's played by uh, Dick Miller. So those two being in this episode is awesome. Al finds the or gets lost things and sends them down to um, Mr. Lodgepool. He describes himself as a certified misappropriation engineer. So while Marshall's down there learning about the Bureau of Lost, um, Simon's looking you know frantically for uh, Marshall. Uh, He eventually finds Marshall down in the the underground lair, I guess. They figure out they're going to to escape, and to get his briefcase back, his father's briefcase back, Marshall decides he's going to steal something, and he steals Lodgepole's rubber stamp so that they can barter for it later or swap. So later on, while Marshall and Simon are at home, Mr. Lodgepole shows up as a uh, mailman and tries to make a deal with Marshall for his stamp because he's been demoted to what Al's job was, and Al is now the uh, new certified misappropriation engineer. At this point, Marshall doesn't need the uh, briefcase anymore because his father didn't didn't need the project. It didn't get approved, and his mother bought him a new briefcase. So that's the story in a nutshell. What,
0: uh, what, what did you think of The Losers?
1: I really liked this one.
0: Mm-hmm. Tell me more. I
1: thought it was the best one I've seen. Oh, wow. Um, well, I mean, like I said, I I love Dick Miller and Henry Gibson. Yeah. Um. So, seeing them, they were really fun. I thought it was a fun story, and yeah, I I liked it. It was the best of the the four, so far. Okay.
0: Yeah. I uh I the the only problem I had with it was just the um, well <clears throat> there were there were two things. One was that uh, it it almost felt to me like the Bureau of Lost was like. The, 'Cause it's such a great huge set that the two of them are on. And there's all sorts of neat details and paraphernalia all over the place. And I almost felt like when I got to the end that we hadn't really explored whatever this is fully. But I also I don't uh-huh. I, I don't think we're probably ever going to return to it. So it it almost felt like an episode of something where they yeah. like Yeah, they sort of like introduce you to something and then like Later in the season, you get another episode set there. We already know the location, so you don't need any setup, and you could do something else. Maybe where something really important gets right. lost or something. That that was the, the 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 one of the two problems I had with it. Just I I felt like they got to the Bureau of Lost. They had this. And it's very, felt all felt very Joe Dante to me. They had this this wonderful cornucopia of just crazy oh, stuff.
1: Absolutely.
0: yeah, all this crazy stuff going on. It was wonderful, but then they sort of get out of it, and then it ends. So I almost felt like they're we need another episode set in the Bureau of Lost. And then the second thing was, and this could be just me, but uh, you know the episode starts off with Where's my briefcase oh, I don't care about the briefcase. What? You don't care about the briefcase? That was an anniversary gift. And Marshall's saying, I don't quite understand what's happening, but I need to get that briefcase back. And then he literally goes, like, to the center of the earth to try to get that briefcase back. And then when he's finally about to get it back, it's it doesn't matter. And it's it's tricky because right. um, part of me was like, oh, I get it. I, I mean, I think it was Marshall um, – being a kid and being worried about his parents and thinking and, and sort of overthinking it, I think sort of you know like oh my yeah God. like a fight
1: was gonna mean yes. divorce
0: yeah 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 oh my gosh a divorce the petroleum based banana extract or whatever the heck it was you know oh my gosh he's gonna lose <laughs> his job yep. no no in the end it's it it's uh, no not at all a Marshall kind of um, th- I guess that shows what what a good kid he is that he was willing to go that far for his parents. But at the, at the same time there is something I found slightly unsatisfying about finally I can get the briefcase. But, oh, we don't need it. Okay. Let's get out of here. You know, it's not and it's not like a wacky uh, like comedy or something where like someone spe- you know like like a, like an episode of a show like where someone mail something to someone and then they have to get the letter back and they spend the whole episode trying to get the letter back and then in the end they get the letter back but they discover it didn't matter anyways because of some reason that's kind of a wah-wah but this this was, this was just felt a little off to me maybe like maybe like the the there should have been more of a through line where we saw his parents more or something in the episode because we just see them at the beginning and then right at the end and we kind of get lost in in what's in the bureau. Oh, uh, yeah, we get lost in the bureau of lost. I'm an idiot. Yeah, there you go. That's what happens. And, <laughs> but but I just I just felt like that ending was a bit too. Um, I, I would I would have I I would have loved if he would have said you know what I'm gonna take the um I'm I'm gonna take the briefcase anyways. And just say, you know, I found it. Here's the briefcase, kind of thing. Hey guys, I found the briefcase. You know, or, or something. Just, just to have them go, oh, I don't need it. Right. I, I found a little, not disappointing, just a little uh, anticlimactic. That's, that's what I'm looking for. I thought the ending was anticlimactic. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point.
1: But yeah, it, I that's mean, definitely a good point. I didn't, I didn't really take it that way, but yeah, I mean, that, may, that all makes sense. I could see. I can see why you would think that.
0: And I, but there is something so? very, it's something very funny about because because the way it works is like they get a there's a knock at the door and it's like a there's a there's a you know postman at the door with a he's doing a late night Saturday delivery and there's Henry Gibson standing at the door with the package. <laughs> I mean that's funny. I don't you know it's just so yeah yeah, yeah overall I I thought this is I thought, I love the imagination behind this episode. I think I think it. Um, overcomes any any sort of downfalls i think might be in the um the the actual story but yeah i think it's quite charming mm-hmm. and, and uh yeah and henry gibson and dick miller come on that's awesome
1: yeah you gotta love it
0: yeah yeah, yeah. um that so, totally
1: made me happy yeah,
0: so. yeah i well it's funny i i i don't know why but i i missed i saw henry gibson's name in in the the uh, the little credits there as we're we're starting up uh, but I didn't see Dick Miller's name in there for some reason. I don't know if I looked away. I was probably writing down Henry Gibson, and mm. I didn't see Dick Miller's name. But then the moment right. he showed up, I thought, <laughs> of course, Joe Dante, Dick Miller, of course. I expected him sooner rather than later. Yeah. Uh, so let's see. Um, <laughs> what, what what else do you have about this one? Any 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 thoughts?
1: Um, well, no, not really, because I kind of enjoyed it more than you did. So I'm trying <laughs> to think of things that bothered me about oh, the oh, you know, episode you know, and...
0: You know, I like the I like the unkind ones, the the biker gang.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, they were funny. That was funny, <laughs> and that name is perfect.
0: Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like um, Marshall <laughs> when um uh, that the head of the unkind ones calls him over because you know he found Marshall's dollar that they were trying to get lost, and 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 Marshall just kind of walks up and goes, and, and the, the guys come here, kid. Yes, 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 you're Harley Ship, sir. And then, and then the guy grabs him. And, the, and then they do a great – the the biker gang does one of those great in-unison laughs where they all stop laughing at the same moment. Yes. But it's, I, I like I, – I love the fact that the, the, the tough, rough, tough biker gang, who, as they're driving away, like, get, you know, almost Born to be Wild-esque and theme, um, are more interested in making sure that, that kids who lose their money get their money back and finding lost puppies. Yeah. <laughs> I think that, that's quite last puppies
1: yep <laughs> yeah that was funny Let's
0: see I enjoyed funny. that part oh I do like the um, the uh, what is it um, when a Lodgepole won't let doesn't want to let Marshall go back to the surface and he's gonna have um, him misplaced
1: Ooh. <laughs> uh. <laughs> you're right though that it would have been uh, Good to see more of the whole place and another episode would have been nice. I bet you they would have if they had, you know, yeah, continued. Had a, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, if there had been a second season. Because
1: there's only the one season and then – yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I think, yeah, I think it would have been fun to just sort of – as ridiculous as it might have been to sort of see the uh, some of the – more of the workings of it, you know, because he keeps mentioning I'm calling head office and stuff like that. I, I would love to right. see exactly – what what this is all about? Um, it it actually reminds me of there is a Twilight uh, from the nineteen eighties Twilight Zone. There is an episode that I should <laughs> have looked up the name of, um, but there there is an episode, and I, I I I have not seen it. I think since it aired in like nineteen eighty five or nineteen eighty six, so I could be getting some details wrong, but. Uh, the epi- the it's it's a it's it's not a full episode. It, it was uh, the hour long Twilight Zone. Then it was it was like Night Gallery. They were several uh, segments within an hour. And there's an mm-hmm. episode where and it, it's something al- along the lines of like a guy is in his house and he sets down some keys. He looks away. When he looks back, the keys are gone. He looks away. He looks around. Looks back. The keys are back there. And this kind of happens in his house. And then. I, I'm going to get this wrong, but it's something along the lines of one of the times when something goes missing, he begins to turn away, and then he looks back immediately, instead of like, okay, where'd that go, and looking away, and he sees like a small man, kind of dressed almost like Dick Miller is when he's out um, collecting stuff, there's kind of like (laughs) a small guy, like putting um, the keys there, or whatever it is, and he says, hey, who are you, and you, you learn, and like I said, again, I'm going to get this wrong, so if there are any Twilight Zone fans listening who are, you got your fists raised going, you <laughs> son of a, you got this wrong. It's something, I, and I want to say the head guy's F. Murray Abraham, but I could be wrong. And what happens is this guy goes, suddenly is in between seconds, and you learn that, um, like, second by second, things don't stay where they are. There are large groups of people who come in between every second and put everything back. So so what you look at, so what I'm looking at right now at this second isn't here the next second until everyone puts it back. But they but it's all done sort of another dimension in space, so we don't see them, but this guy happened to go into there. And so that's why you lose things because every once in a while someone forgets to put the keys back, but they put them back in the next second, so they're there. Yeah. And, that, and that's sort of their version of, of how things get lost. And that's what I thought of when I thought of this. That I think both are charming, um, uh, and I, I also think um, uh, I, I follow a um, and and this is this is just me me for a second. Um, there's. Uh, and I, because I think that's a fun idea. I like the concept of the Bureau of the Lost with this one man and, down... And I, I, I imagine there are sort of locations around the world, or the uh, the the U.S. and the world, I, I would guess. Um, maybe just the U.S. Do you think it's a U.S. thing? Hmm. Or a world thing? I don't know.
1: No, I, I think it's a world thing.
0: Okay. All right. Um... But uh, I, I, uh, I follow a Twilight Zone podcast where the guy who does the podcast occasionally uh, will talk about one of the 80s Twilight Zones because he's mainly the 50s, 60s, the original. And it was great because when he talked about mm-hmm. that, ep- that episode with the things going missing, it was great because one of the comments on Patreon was something like, I have some problems with the logic behind how all this works. And it was someone legitimately <laughs> arguing the logic that of of uh, uh, large groups of people putting everything back every single <laughs> second in time. I thought, really, I think, where do you where do you get these people from? Yeah. Um, uh, let's, see, uh, let's see. Let me just scan my notes here. Do you have any, Oh, do you have anything else on this one? I think.
1: Uh, no, I don't think I do.
0: Okay. Let's see. I do like the um, the fact that. Uh, that one of the ways to get into the Bureau of the Lost was like through two dryers in the local laundromat, which is yeah. how people lose socks <laughs> and, and things. And they crawled
1: out and nobody, yes. nobody pays attention.
0: Yeah. Yeah. When you're sort of. And in there was, the was a woman there.
1: folding a straight jacket. Yes.
0: Yeah. 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 I think that's about all I have for that one. I mean, it's a pretty, it's, it's, it's it's i think it's a fun episode and the concept of it is really great i i would like i said i would love it yeah if it, yeah, if it got expanded upon later but that's that's not really all that necessary so that was the losers everybody uh, and amy where can we find you online
1: uh you can find me on instagram at amy underscore the underscore conqueror
0: i was going to do something right here where i pretended like my microphone got lost but i And then it was just going to – there you go. So let's um, let's all tune in next time, and maybe we can – talk to you later.
2: Live from his luxury penthouse apartment in London's glittering East End, Dean Lerner, club owner, entrepreneur, and publisher of High Class Gentlemen's Magazines, invites you to
3: join him for an exclusive Man to Man.
0: Welcome to Man to Man with Dean Lerner. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Man to Dan with Gore Blimey, discussing 2006's Man to Man with Dean Lerner, the Garth Marenghi's Dark Place follow-up. And I'm here in my beautiful, palatial, two-bedroom, San Fernando Valley home, talking with the great, the wonderful, Gore Blimey. How are you, Gore?
3: Hi, I'm good, thank you. How are you?
0: I'm doing all right. I I am ready to talk this wonderful... Uh, talk show. I guess it's, it's a talk show when you only have one person. Normally, I think of a talk show as something where you have a whole bunch of different people coming in. But this is—it's a very intimate uh, talk show. This one. And a year ago. Oh, or so, absolutely! You,
3: it's very man to man.
0: Yeah, exactly. As we're as we're doing right now. You see, folks. Um, about a year ago, we covered Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, and I could not talk about the follow-up show. And uh, what I'd like to—I want to I give. Um, a little uh, setup for the show, discuss what happened in the first episode, then we're just going to do a little, uh, we're just going to shoot the breeze about the show, just like the guys on the show are, are doing the same. So uh, Man to Man with Dean Lerner is set in uh, Dean Lerner. We know him from Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. He's a publisher. He's a smut peddler. He's a great guy. He, he used to own a like a formula, uh, like a uh, auto racing. Formula 5, was it? Formula 1? That'll come into play later. Racing team. <laughs> yeah. um, he loves yeah. mackerel. Uh, and he this is set in his um, $5 million uh, penthouse apartment in London's glittering east end which um gore would you yes. tell me about
3: london's east end <laughs> well i don't think it's a patch on london's glittering west end which is what we normally think of when we talk about that um east end is kind of um yeah it's very different <laughs> it's where um if you've heard of a soap opera called eastenders that's where oh, yes. that's set that's how it gets its name but uh, west end is where we're talking theaters and restaurants and uh, nightclubs and all that
0: so 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 when dean says he has a five million dollar east end apartment that's probably a really great apartment i would think just because (laughs) if it it were in the west end it would be less of an apartment but in the east end he's probably getting more apartment i would think i'm not sure i'm not a realtor
3: if it was in the if it was in the west end it'd it'd probably be a bed sit flat if it was in the west end
0: yeah and and, but he's got yeah he's got a huge penthouse and and we're set there you know whether or not it's a you know it's an actual studio, I couldn't say because I've never been to London's glittering East End. But we're sent it's his apartment apparently, and there's a couch set up and a chair, and there's a bar. Behind the bar is his latest um, partner, a lovely woman named Satu, who um, who he always presents as not being the brightest. But we we'll, we'll, I guess we'll get into that as we go. Uh, and it's very much <laughs> there, uh, there's there's an audience who, who I don't think we see but we hear. And it's based on a... Yes. They, yeah, they, they... He says this within the show, but it's actually true in real life, that uh, there was a show called Dino's After Dark, and the pilot to this show is actually Dino's After Dark. Uh, and we will discuss the pilot when we get to episode four, because the guest in episode four is in the pilot. But yeah, so he used to have a show called Dino's After Dark, which is very much like a playboy after dark kind of rat pack something that like um dean martin and sammy yeah. davis jr would have been at and um i don't know if you've which which
3: seen... wasn't a real tv show this is all fictional
0: yes yes this is all fictional playboy after dark wasn't fictional because i've seen that a few times and it is have you ever seen playboy after dark gore
3: um uh, I just don't know if it sounds like my kind of thing. are we talking about the same kind of thing? Yes. should you be yes, telling us all about that? It's,
0: it's probably not it's probably not your kind of thing. well, it is you know if you like
3: is it I, is it kind of like babe station on satellite t v
0: I th- it's 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 very much it's it's purported to well, I forget exactly if it's set in Hugh Hefner's Playboy Mansion. It could have been. I haven't actually seen an episode in ages. Oh, okay. But and it's sort of set there and it's him just being suave and he has guests on and there are Playboy bunnies walking around and there's a band playing. And it's 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 sort of oh, right. I mean, if you can imagine it like I, I was trying to I was trying to think of the best way to describe it, but if you can imagine a a a A talk show with guys who are are purporting to be fiercely heterosexual in everything they do and say and surrounding themselves with these beautiful women. But it's the most camp thing you've ever seen, the most heterosexual men you've ever seen (laughs) do. That's the way to describe Playboy After Dark.
3: Yeah, yeah.
0: and man to man with D right had, no
3: I don't definitely haven't seen that
0: it's it's I used to when when I was growing up my um uh my uh, parents had a satellite dish one of those huge satellite dishes you know like they call aliens with and that kind of thing outside our house and we used right. to we used to get the Playboy Channel and the only thing I ever used to see on that was Playboy After Dark so whenever I tune in hoping to see something it would be like this 70s show with hugh hefner and like it was always like some it was like like charles nelson riley or rip taylor or someone like that and they'd always he's always interview them and they're all playboy bunnies floating around and it was so depressing i thought but yet at the same time so <laughs> ridiculous so um uh uh so what was i saying oh yes yeah, so um uh and he would also have like a uh, football players and things out like that i realized to say um uh, the most intensely heterosexual men ever, and then say Charles Nelson Reilly and Rip Taylor is actually um, not quite working right there. But you know what I mean. Um, uh, <laughs> so I know what you mean. <laughs> yes, so Man to so Man is... Uh, Dean sits down, generally with a cigar, and he brings in a guest. And the guest in this episode is the great Garth Marenghi, who is listed on the DVD... Um, uh, menu. each guest is Garth Marenghi like Esquire. So I don't know if you automatically get a law degree when yes. you're on Man to Man with Dean Lerner. <laughs> but, but or Dean doesn't know what that <laughs> means. And he just no, even, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> probably. Uh, yeah, so Garth shows up and Garth, <laughs> um, Garth has just written like four new books and he's been in an accident, which we can talk about in a bit, where he's had to have a replacement ear. And he's got a... Um, he has a um, an exhibition of his horror uh, paintings at uh, what What is the place where he has the exhibition? I wrote down the name, but I can't. Coveny,
3: It's yes. Is exhibition? His exhibition has just opened at Canvey Island Art Centre. <laughs> you, so, <laughs> if you're in the UK, that? you'll just you'll know just how glamorous that is. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah it's not quite up to the Tate. it's not as well known
0: <laughs> yeah i was gonna i think that you, you could tell by the audience there there we can discuss i don't know if we want to discuss in this one because um maybe in a later episode discuss the the response of the audience with actually i guess we'll discuss it later the way the audience responds to them as opposed to the way they sort of think the audience is responding or should be responding if that makes sense.
3: Yeah, yeah. There's every every now and again, they sort of, you know, mention, yeah, they draw attention to the audience reactions and things. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Um, so, yeah, so Garth is doing that and we get in here, we get a commercial for Garth's new book, which we can talk about in a moment. And we get a clip from Garth's new movie, uh, which is we'll also talk about. And we, we get a great sequence in Garth's attic um, uh, artist studio. yeah. So, uh, so, uh, so, uh Gore, before, yeah. we talk, before we dive into just uh, bits about the episode, uh, what, do, what is your background with this one? Have had you seen this one? I saw
3: it at the. I, I saw it at the time when it was um, when it was on the television, um, mainly on the strength of Dark Place, Garth Morgan's Dark Place, mm-hmm. which I absolutely adored at the time, and so I was really, really keen to see this and see what they were doing next. And I think I'm like a lot of people that. When I finally saw this, it's – some of the humour is the same, but it's a very different format. And I think it put me off a bit. So I did watch it, and um, it was OK. But I think because I was expecting something different, I didn't like it as much as um, Dark Place. But having watched it now, with a big space of time between the two, and and um, looking at it on its own merits – it's good it's not bad at all um it's just that expectation that's the issue and it's got the same characters that do pop up in it but it's a whole different format whereas uh dark place was more of a, a full-on spoof with all the visual gags and everything like this this is much more it's done to an audience as you said for a start so that's different and it's more the interview format and and all this so it's, it's just a different kind of a different kind of show but but yeah there's a lot of the the humor is still there. The very similar kind of quite dark humor is still there. Yes. So um I I liked it better this time round. Much better this time round, actually.
0: i uh, Yeah, I I obviously what was it two years ago? Whenever when I discovered I discovered Dark Place, like it was waiting there for me to discover it. When will Dan watch us? When will Dan watch us? Mm. Uh, I and I I got the DVD <laughs> and I, I watched it. And I was like, this is fantastic and. Uh, I I looked to see if there was another series or what was going on. I saw Man to Man. I bought it immediately. And I'll be be honest. Pardon me. I watched the first episode with Garth. And I was like, all right. And then I started to watch the second one, which we'll discuss next. And I kind of wasn't as interested. And so that's kind of one of the reasons why. And this – I I applaud my patience sometimes. About a year ago when Gore and I finished talking, Garth Marenghi – I asked, "Would you please come back in a year and talk man to man with Dean Lerner?" And my patients actually kept that DVD sitting on the shelf until about two days ago, when I picked it up and started watching it. And <laughs> just, just purely discussing the, this episode, I loved it. Uh, you can really, you can really get the feel when Dean and Garth are sitting there that they they've had a long history together, and sometimes they're having a discussion with each with each other. But sometimes they're just going off on tangents. And the other one just kind of lets them go, you know? My, um, my favorite – I guess we – I'd like to just talk – So it, I, I was desperately trying to figure out what format we would talk about this show in since there's no plot. Um, and I couldn't think of one. So we're just going to shoot the breeze about it and say some things we liked about yeah. it. Maybe some yeah. things we didn't. We're going to discuss War of the Wasps. We're going to discuss the Dutch – it's, we're gonna discuss who Freddie Starr is. We're gonna discuss all these things. Could we start with Freddie Starr? who's they they mentioned what, what is it? Is it Dean Dean says something? I forget what Dean says something. I forget um, what it is Dean says exactly like yes it's like garth
3: yeah he, he's talking about garth's sense of humor and about how funny garth is and he yeah. says um you know about he makes him laugh and he says um he says something like, you provide him with more hootage than any man i know <laughs> with a possible exception of freddie Starr," and that kind of says a lot over in the uk that would tell us a lot freddie Starr was a kind of performer stand-up comedian very popular in the 1970s and kind of encompassed all that sort of 1970s humor and and style and, uh, yeah. I mean, since then, the, the guy has become more associated with a, a tabloid newspaper headline which was oh. freddy star ate my hamster uh which has become kind of you know famous for being such a ridiculous headline but no no he kind of encompasses that whole sort of sweaty stand-up comedian telling mother-in-law jokes and sort of you know okay. hanging around nightclubs uh, with the with the famous and you know that that kind of thing so that's what that reference is
0: okay, okay. <laughs> thank you thank you um so what what were some of your favorite uh moments in the episode there are quite a lot I mean that's yeah. I mean as it's the first episode I just
3: mentioned the the opening credit sequence which I, I quite liked um, it introduces him you've got him as like club owner and entrepreneur and and it says publisher of high-class gentleman's magazines <laughs> and um, and we see a, a limousine pull up and open the door for us to get in and then we see someone um, pouring champagne and I just I don't know why but this really amused me that during all the the jazz music and everything as this is seen this montage um, they do Dubbed over the sound of champagne pouring, and I don't know why it just really made me laugh. Um, <laughs> so, pouring a glass of champagne, and um, and uh, there's uh, that when this is going on, we see pictures of guests that are coming up, flashing past, and words in fancy italic writing as well. I don't know if you managed to see those words, but those words are one at a time. They come up with sophistication, grace, fish cuisine. Music, elegance, glamour, conversation, humour, accountability, anecdotes, (laughs) candour, achievement, restraint, manners and table service. (laughs) <laughs> and um, and I love it when the when the limo actually arrives at um, Dean Towers, um, the door opens and Dean stands there holding the door open for just a slightly over long, slightly <laughs> <That's>... awkward pause, <laughs> which brings us right back to what we're talking about. This is it. Yeah. So yeah, and if you notice in that sequence as well, when he's standing there with the door open, there's a couple of guys in uniforms behind him, which are presumably doormen. They're the two guys from Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. That the two um, guys that were in every episode as uh-huh. kind of minor roles <laughs> yeah as i say they, they do pop in in this as well they they were great those guys because they just had tiny little roles with just the odd line of dialogue or something i think one of them was called jim through most of <laughs> dark <laughs> I place think so, yeah, yeah. Um, but there were there were two that just yeah yeah so uh that's a kind of setup and it's all set in this like mock Living room with these big leather Chesterfield sofas and a, f- raid, and a big fire going and a bar and tasteful nude paintings all over the walls and yes. and things like this and and you've mentioned Satu that's actually her real name she she's oh. a model the woman um I, yeah she's not famous I only know this because I because I had to look on <laughs> I had to look online she's only really credited for this and there's one other thing she's uncredited in um. But I love that he said uh, – he referred to her as his primary partner. He said he's, he's downsizing his harem. He said he's converting some of the girls' bedrooms into an indoor skating rink.
0: That's <laughs> – so, I, I love um, it, It's yes. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I adore the constant um, Dean Lerner. He, he just, just – he's, he's the perfect uh, – uh, he, looks, he looks like class, but the more he talks – it's just he digs himself this huge hole and it's just such so wonderful to the more i mean the the way how like he he's relatively suave ish when he's on this the set interviewing people more or less yeah but but like like yeah. as with dark place the moment he's like off the set and he's holding open that door it just goes wrong he just becomes so awkward yeah yeah Oh, poor Dean. He's a
3: he's a funny character. I mean, I liked this because it gave him like a, a bit more space to develop the character because when we see him in dark place he's kind of a comedy thing because mostly you notice him for his terrible acting (laughs) um and that you don't really get much of a view of all the other parts of his personality whereas this it's so much about him that you get to see he's actually quite sleazy and he's you know this kind of dodgy businessman and um he's also a little bit of a like a gangstery type or he he sees himself as a bit of a gangstery type you know Mm -hmm. and uh, so he's a bit dangerous as well so there's all this kind of stuff going on as well which we get to it's not always spelled out to us but it's there <laughs> through yes. this so i really like that they they get to flesh him out a bit more in this and I, um yeah and i i really enjoy that he's you know he's a womanizer he's you know has his little rants as well so he's not as suave all the time as you, he'd like yeah. you to think so every now yes. and again they will have a little rant like he okay. Did in this episode about toilet parties but, or something. And
0: I, <laughs> I, th- I think i'm actually going to everyone this is um, they're discussing, Garth and, and, and Dean are discussing um, dreams and reality, and I just want to play you this clip. This is Dean going on his rant. Here we go.
3: Uh, at the end of the day, I'm not a salesman either, I'm a shaman, I'm a dream dreamweaver. Uh, my job is to question, like Poe Edgar Allen, is all we see or seem, but a dream within a dream?
2: I don't know, what did he say? <laughs> I don't think he had an answer, to be honest. I think that was the point, you know, are you real? Yes. <laughs> but are you? Oh, stop it, Garth, you're creeping me out. <laughs> Perhaps you're asleep and this is a nightmare. How do you know you exist? Wow, it's interesting, isn't it? It's like that philosophical question, you know, if a tree falls in the forest and I'm not there and it makes a sound, but I don't hear it, but someone recalls it and plays it to me at a dinner party, <laughs> Does that mean I'm still in the forest? <laughs> and if I am, then why can't I just take a piss in the garden rather than queuing for the toilet? <laughs> and that's if the toilet even exists. I've been trying to use it all fucking night. <laughs> I'm starting to doubt the existence of the toilet. Quite frankly, at this stage of the proceedings.
3: You see? Can you feel it? You see, I'm getting you to get to Portleaze.
2: Is what I'm saying. <laughs> If you're going to have a party of that size, get a porter. Because I don't want to spend my entire fucking evening in the corridor. And if philosophy can solve those questions, then it's worth it. But thus far, it can't. So I'm fucking busting. And what's Plato doing about it? Nothing.
0: You see? I just love how escalated that gets from if a tree falls in the forest to him just raving about Lou's yes. and standing and just yes. f this f that and it's just and he he never gets too angry but it's like with, with every sentence he's just a little bit anger and Garth is just sitting there the whole time just going like you know it's like preach it do it say it there you go kind of just like <laughs> letting him go
3: they're great i mean i i really admired that they can sit there and keep a completely straight face completely yes. in character through all this because i you know i don't know if there was much cut out of it where you know if they did if they did corpse or anything but it is very funny and very impressive to watch but yeah, yeah, Gar- uh, I liked as well that he his character also is um, is quite willing to take advantage of a situation, you know, for business and things. And he talks about his – the first time he met Garth, he was talking about, um, you know, the book writing and stuff. And he said um, at that point he, he came up with the idea of scary porn. And he decided that he wanted to release books, he said, that would give the reader a boner but leave him too terrified to do anything about it. And he called that horotica, or in other words, books that will scare you stiff. <laughs> I think,
0: I think t- to me, that's the perfect uh, dean sort of thing. He he has the greatest of intentions that just instantly become sleazy the moment he puts like his fingers on them. They just yes. like, oof, they just go crazy. Um, oh, uh, we, let's <laughs> let's discuss. Would you like to discuss the War of the Wasps real quick? And um, Garth's probably oh, yes, the Dutch. Yes, yes, yes. So uh, Garth has a new movie coming out. uh, Were you going to say something about the Dutch?
3: No, no, no. (laughs) I was going to say about the um, War of the Wasps. Yes, please. Um, Yeah, he's he's working on a feature film at the moment, War of the Wasps, which is um, from the descriptions and everything like that. It's basically something you'd find um, on the sci-fi channel by the sounds of it. Um, And I love that Dean said that he he read the script – and he loved it so much, he said he was sick twice and then got the runs. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got this... We, we're The the basic story of this is that Garth plays a character called Ken Douglas, which is interesting, mm-hmm. because he was um, Dirk Douglas in the, the last one. Um, he's a, what he calls a renegade insectologist and part-time horror writer who's thrown out of the Romford Creepy Crawly Institute institute for his radical paper on daddy long legs <laughs> and basically it's an attack by giant cosmic wasps um and eventually he lures him into outer space with a giant sticky bun <laughs> so that's the that's the but he, for some reason he starts then to go on about a rant about the dutch for yes. some particular reason i don't know why Is but he has a yeah yeah it's very strange but um, so when um so, when Dean asks him, he said, Are the wasps a metaphor? First of all, he says, um, Well, yeah, uh, let's just say they are. <laughs> but then it kind of turns into, Oh, yes, they're a metaphor about the Dutch. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, he has this mission in the film where he's got to fire a giant canister of insect repellent up the queen wasp's back entrance and then detonate it with torpedoes. Or actually, he says it's not torpedoes, it's. Uh, 30 caliber browning m 1917 <laughs> yes. a1 hood mounted machine gun
0: i was hoping you'd write so, that down bad on I, dean yeah. for getting that wrong yeah.
3: <laughs> that took me a good couple of minutes to write that down yeah. i can tell you <laughs> yeah and then we get the film clip what did you make of the film clip
0: oh the film clip is fantastic as with as with everything garth does um his ambitions Outweigh not only his budget but his actual creativity. So this is the the clip is three and a half minutes <laughs> of like helicopters on wires chasing big digital wasps throughout is uh, throughout London. I guess I don't know. I didn't actually look at the landscape. I just looked at the um the wasp yeah. and the and the helicopters. And there's a lot of um there's a lot of great uh drama in between all the all the pilots and and Dean himself is down. In the like control center, guiding them on. He can't. Fl- he can't join them in the in the hunt because he has a bad back. And Sanchez is there, or someone named Sanchez <laughs> is there. So it's it's kind of a dark place uh, reunion.
3: Yes. Of same, yeah. Interesting, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. But he's yeah he's he refers to him as Sanchez as well. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And there, it's it's kind of got a lovely um uh there's a there's a moment where um uh near the end I think Garth's uh. Uh, insect repellent thing is knocked out, and I love the moment where Garth pulls a gun on one of the wasps. He's in this state-of-the-art uh, chopper, and he pulls <laughs> a gun to shoot one of them. But his his insect stuff goes yes. down, so Sanchez has to fire the repellent into this Jasper's back end, and a Jasper is.
3: jasper uh, yes of course sorry jasper is another word for a wasp which is um a jasper is uh, over here mainly in the south of the country and i have no idea why i don't think anyone knows why but (laughs) wasps are referred to as jaspers but i don't know why but yeah, there's a yeah, there's a crucial scene where um, Sanchez has to fly his his helicopter directly into the back end of this queen wasp, and there's a really really good quote um, that he says describing describing that.
2: Sanchez, it's just you and me now, buddy. Sorry to break up the tender moment, you fart knockers, but there's a killer queen wasp out there that's horny than a bitch in season, and we need to frag her bug eyed, yellow belly tiny before she hunts that hospice. So get pronto, Tonto. Copy that. <laughs> In my sights. What bloody thing's jammed? I'm gonna have to flap the business sand myself. Sanchez, don't do it.
3: You know I have to, Dag. Yep,
2: I guess you do. Look,
3: I'll make sure they build a statue of you right in the middle of Romford. Well, not the middle, we wouldn't get the planning permission, but maybe next to
2: that big Odeon. Thanks, Dag. I like that big Odeon. Now listen, don't talk. We've not much time. In a minute, you're gonna see my chopper hanging out of that Jasper's sir. If you're not gonna wanna shoot because your best body's out there, but you have to. Because you'd ask me to do the same thing. Sorry, Sanj,
3: I didn't get any of that, you're breaking up. Look, I'll just shoot you when you're up there. This is for every time I've tried to drink a can of cider in the park.
0: It's fantastic. You get all, all all the drama and pathos it's you need, brilliant. with someone else not actually hearing any of it, which is great.
3: <laughs> I am, and then my other favorite part of this is that one of the um, guys, I think it's one of the two guys that we we mentioned before from Dark Places in, is in one of the. The helicopters and suddenly he cries out that there's wasps in the cockpit (laughs) and there are these big wasps on string (laughs) swinging around in the cockpit and i love the the answer he's given is just ignore them and they'll go away (laughs) and uh, which of course they don't and the poor guy has to jump out of his helicopter and we see that exploding and a very obvious dummy falling out of the helicopter that turns into a kind of a cgi man
0: (laughs) yes it's very dramatic. so it's
3: brilliant i would watch that film
0: oh so would i yeah, it's very dramatic it's very i think bogenhagen <laughs> is the name of the guy who, who who falls out of the plane there oh
3: that's right yes yes um, oh well
0: remembered yes and yeah. uh, and uh the uh my i i think i do <laughs> i do love that in it does have during the moments when sanchez and and um ken are talking and they're talking with dean on on the ground there it it does have dark place uh feel to it for a moment especially after that bit with um where sanchez and and ken sort of say goodbye to one another and then immediately it cuts to dean and he says all right you fart knockers knock it off and get back to work or something like that yeah <laughs> <great>. <laughs> we had like that <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i love i love the fact that that apparently um you know this was all stuff garth had written into the script uh, you know it's uh that's that's our garth You know, he's 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 already written like five novels, and had an accident, and painted a thousand things, and he made a movie.
3: Yeah. Absolutely. Fingers in every pie. Yeah, yeah. And, I and, and and on top of this he's still doing he's still busy doing his novels as well, we mustn't forget, because he, he does mention that in January alone, he says in early January he wrote he, he wrote a novel called Curse of the Coil, mm-hmm. which is about a woman who circumnavigates the portals of hell via a cursed contraceptive device. Yes. And and if that's not all, late January he followed it up with a sequel, Return of the Coil Two, Reentry. <laughs> And if that's not all, he also just had a new book out, which is Garth Marenghi, The Oeuvre. You know, it frightens me how many novels of terror I've written. Now you can buy all 436 in one easy-to-read volume. From Garth Marenghi, who brought you Slicer, Slasher, Ripper, and many more. It's Garth Marenghi's The Oeuvre. With a reinforced spine made from genuine cat bone. It comes complete with these detachable balancing sticks, allowing you to read safely and adjustable brackets for easy storage. Order now and you receive this attachable index and chapter one of Garth's new novel. If you only buy one Garth Marenghi book, buy this one, which is all of them. Garth Morenghi's The Old, the only book you'll ever need.
2: A phenomenal work right and um, how do you manage it Garth how do you keep getting inspiration cheese
0: a, there's a great uh, great moment where we see uh, the guy one of the guys from Garth Marenghi the guy who uh, when Liz first enters the is that Jim well, I forget which guy it is. No, it's the other guy.
3: Oh, okay. yeah, on reception.
0: Yes, the guy in reception. It's was...
3: one of the two. Anyway, he's on reception when she turns up. Yeah. Yeah,
0: and we see him reading the book. And the way he's reading the book is it's sitting on the floor, and he's on a step ladder, about three steps up, and he's maybe five hundred pages in.
3: Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love the. I love how. Yes. <laughs> it, you know, if you're a Garth, Mer- if you're a Garth Marenghi fan, you need to have this. But but the just I love how just awkward and uncomfortable it is but everyone makes it look like this is going to be a joy especially like when i'm at the midway point i don't know does the book yes. like drop over or something <laughs> so you can get to it i'm i'm excited about the logistics of the yes yeah. let's see what, <laughs> what exactly else? it
3: came, it came oh. with the wall mountings i think yes <laughs> um his his artwork we were going to mention oh, yes. um, and this is a really good uh a good way of showing his complete sort of pompous arrogance that he's got. Mm-hmm. It's sort of self importance. He he talks about um we oh, had a bad he had a bad accident and the reason he had a bad accident was that he was he just sculpted a 40 foot statue of his own head and it fell on him he says it could happen to anyone <laughs> and then he was telling such funny jokes in the ambulance that so the ambulance crashed he lost an ear um but then he manages even then he manages to reference vincent van gogh uh, and it's like <laughs> you're comparing yourself to van gogh so. and he- um but they he was asked about his his inspiration as well and he said if he wants inspiration he just rereads one of his own books because he said there's usually something profound in there i've missed first time
0: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah and they they actually they go into his art studio they take the man to man cameraman up yeah, there do, and yeah garth is yeah. in like yes. he's in like a smock and he's showing off all these these paintings, which in some ways have their charms, but he's able to in describing. I them, like them actually. Yeah. yeah, there's some really good ones. Yeah, in he does.
3: He does. There's some. There's some really good artwork of these pictures. They're weird, but they're yeah. well done.
0: <laughs> it's it's stuff like the garden There's, there's
3: um, a lovely he, uh, he there's a, a moment where he he's describing one of them, which is this bizarre picture with somebody with eyeballs and things going round. He says, he says it's a um, he describes it as like a cross between my eyeballs and my sperm. He says, who so is he said. So so it's my visions that are giving birth and impregnating the minds of millions <laughs> but having said all that his all his pomposity and everything he does with this the scene ends with him being all theatrical and so you can say get out get out for the demons are coming and as he's standing there with his hands in the air all theatrical the door swings shut and kind of bangs him on the arm <laughs> so it sort of brings all his self-importance back down to reality
0: <laughs> yes yes the moment they leave dean's uh, dean's penthouse as it were Every, every all the awkward from Dark Place begins again. It's like the the, the when they're just sitting there shooting the yes. shooting the breeze. It's they're 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 I don't know that they're good, but they're they're great in their own way. But yeah, the moment they go, out, the, my favorite moment in that yeah. is not only all the great paintings, like you know this one's famine. It's real easy. You just make her thin, and then a picture of like a portrait of yes. his <laughs> a portrait of his family. Um, this is the marengi <laughs> family without skin. And he's like, okay, yeah, that's uh. – And but my favorite moment yes. is where he stares at the camera and he says, but whatever you do, you must not go into that corner. And he points in a corner and the camera turns and you see one of the lamps for the setup, for the lighting, for the scene. And he says, yeah, because we got a lamp over there. <laughs> it's great.
2: Yeah. And then, of course, the, there's, the,
0: there's the portrait he does of his wife. Which is this strange ghoul with large breasts and one eye hanging out. And, um, it's, I, I, you know, here's, here's, can, I want to give away a Garth Marenghi secret here. How does Garth get his inspiration? Let me tell you. Cheese. Which is he, – he said – which I love.
3: <laughs> right.
0: He yes. says the way he gets his inspiration is if he's getting writer's block or something, he will have a little emmental or a, um, some, some sort of cheese. Usually um, I would think something French would be my guess but i'm not sure on that he has some cheese he has some beer and pickles he goes to bed an hour later he's up and he's got the next chapter in his head he says unfortunately he gains about two stone a novel but he types very fast so he can sweat out about a stone of that so it evens out and i thought maybe that doesn't even out garth at some point you're going to be like five thousand pounds
3: (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's just he's such an egotist it's just just (laughs) the assumption that he is the best Typist, he's going to type so much faster than anyone else that he's going to burn off all those calories. <laughs> but, uh, now is yeah, this, is
0: yeah, a
3: sto- so is what, a st- what did you think? Yeah,
0: oh, Isa Stone's is it 16 pounds or 14 or I?
3: god even i get confused and i'm i'm of the age where um it was when i was quite young it was sort of stones and pounds and things Mm -hmm. like that and as i was going through school it then became um kilos kilograms and things like this so it sort of all changes although you're you're different again because you use pounds whereas we use stones and pounds Mm -hmm. so if you can talk about somebody being 200 or 300 pounds Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean a thing to me it could be anything um but yeah i think it's 16 16 14, No, is it fourteen pounds in a stone and then sixteen ounces to a pound? It's very complicated. I can see why yeah. they changed to metric.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it, it was it's very it was complicated. Weird. My, my uh, when when I was growing up, I went to a school where they they were convinced we were all going to go metric. This was at the start of the end of the seventies, start of the eighties, and awesome. so the school I went to um, was all metric. And then I changed schools and. Um, this was – I was in uh, – f- the school I went to for first to sixth grade, which was um, when I was – I don't know. What is that? Like five to um, like uh, like 12 or so? Um, that was metric. Then I changed over yeah, yeah. Seventh, seventh and eighth grade right before we I went to high school. I went to another school where it was all pounds and everything, and it's very – tricky mm. being in a school where you're very good at math i was very good at math but when we got to measurements they were like okay damn uh four pounds how many ounces in that I'm like, i have no idea and they're like uh you're 13 or 14 and you don't know mm. how many pounds are in an ounce they taught me metric why did they do that and i still don't i know metric yeah. better than i do yeah. pounds and yeah. stuff even though we don't really use metric you use metric if you're like being a smart ass
3: or no, something no. like
0: that yeah. you know we, we generally are with pounds and all it's, that
3: stuff. We, we still kind of use both yeah yeah it's i mean officially we use metric and mm. um and it's kind of that's what you were taught at secondary school when i was growing up but like i said uh, because i was that sort of crossover age between the two it's like i was too i was very young when they switched it over but my parents always used imperial you know they always use yeah. the old measurement so i'm slightly confused some things i understand in one and some the other so if we talk about weight i don't get kilos you know or, or this mm-hmm. sort of thing i understand some things i understand meters and stuff but then on the other hand i mean you know like measurements like i know what six inches is you know but i wouldn't necessarily want it's in in centimeters yes. things so, like that
0: yeah it, i always, whenever i'm cooking anything i always i have a, a book nearby that has all measurements and everything in it i'm always having to refer to it to make sure i'm putting in the right amount of whatever oh yes yeah so um yeah so yeah, that was yeah. that was and, our
3: American recipes confuse me anyway cuz as American recipes confuse me anyway cuz they're oh. all in cups. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that was yeah. confusing whereas you know I used to know ounces and things but now yeah. I'm getting used to uh, you know uh, grams and kilograms but cups is very different. <laughs> and, and see, see, anyway folks, we're going off at a tangent we're going off at a that, tangent. That, that uh, was <laughs> I was going
0: to say that's man to dan with gore Blimey, we're going to do that sometimes folks. So you were going to say something gore before yeah. I um <laughs> talked about measurements. <laughs>
3: Uh, yeah, so many times I've had a conversation like that. Yeah. Um, it's I was no, I was just going to say what your thoughts were generally for the for the first episode, the opener of the series, the I, season. I, what did you make of it?
0: I, I I really quite enjoyed it. There's um uh I I, I do like the fact that they have the three uh, sort of in, insert moments to take us away from the interview because as much as I was loving just watching the two of them talk, uh, the inserts were a nice break in there. And I, I like the fact that mm, you, get a, mm. you, get a, you get an update on what Garth is up to and you get more development of what Dean is up to, and they're so good together. And like you said, it's there are moments when you like you're thinking how are they keeping a straight face during this? And I'm thinking the way
3: the yeah, way,
0: yeah. The, way, the way Garth is clo- um, kind of keeps his mouth shut at times, I'm wondering if he's like biting his cheek or something like that to kind of uh, stop <laughs> quite from probably but but yeah, um, but, uh, yeah I, I, I really thought it was yeah. really really funny
3: I think I mean I so I would say this is probably the, the strongest of the episodes but um, I, I think it it's I enjoyed it probably more than the others but um, mm-hmm. it, it's a good and a bad thing because mm-hmm. having Garth there means you've got someone familiar so it's the sort of a yes. take you from dark place to this on the other hand, having Garth there might be more of a distraction because it makes you think it's going to be more like Dark Place. Yes. So I don't know whether it was the right thing to have at first or not. It works in some ways, but not in others. But I did like the fact that um, they, they gave the characters a bit more space to actually uh, to flesh them out and to breathe a bit more, so to speak. Um, I really like that. And, and you could see that these were – they sort of got these characters – really well you know they'd really um i can't think how i'm describing it they're um they, sort of they were comfortable with the in the skin of yeah, these yeah, characters yeah, you yeah. know they, they uh-huh. knew them yes uh-huh. there wasn't a lot of acting involved they kind of became them yeah. and and i you know you could see that garth is probably the most developed out of all the characters that uh, matthew Holness plays through this uh-huh. um but yeah and i really enjoyed it and, and by the way um did you know uh matthew holness the the actor who plays garth mm. is also a director and he's recently had a film out called possum which is a horror film I which saw was playing the it. um festivals last year yes I, yeah, I a film the... i really liked but um uh, yeah. no humor in it whatsoever <laughs>
0: wow okay yeah i'd like to see that yeah
3: yeah worth seeing when it comes out but don't expect it to be a spoof or funny or anything okay. like that okay. but um yeah I, I this had i think this had a really good script to it as well it was full of um, the very witty lines mm-hmm. lots of very funny observations and things it's was a very sharp script this one yes. so a really good start to the to the series i thought
0: yeah i agree and i i do uh take your point i i thought that too because the uh, regarding putting garth in the first episode because in the pilot he's not in it and so i'm wondering if they Mm. did the did the pilot and they said well we're going to bring garth back and either they decided to link it with dark place or the network said you know do the garth one first so you 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 put 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 garth in front
3: yeah
0: and um and it works but yeah i can understand why why they would do that Mm -hmm. and we'll we'll see as we go along whether or not but i think from from me watching it
3: yeah for me watching it I just felt that if if it would have been a different character completely then I would have kind of got it from the beginning yes. um, but because I'm seeing familiar characters I'm kind of expecting it to be the same sort of thing yeah. which is it which may be why it um, yeah it disappointed me the first time round yeah. But if you can get if you can get past that, if you can get your head around the idea that it isn't dark place two, it's mm-hmm. a different thing all of its own. It's well worth watching. It's very yeah. good.
0: Yeah, I agree. Uh, so I think that's the first uh, that's the first episode of Man to Man with Dean Lerner being discussed on Man to Dan with Gore Blimey. And Gore, where can we find you online?
3: right i'm um, most of the information about the podcast it has its own website which is trilogy of terror and that's all one word um and you'll find new episodes and other links and things on there but i'm also on i'm also on twitter at i am gore blimey all one word and on facebook trilogy of terror podcast and i'm even on instagram trilogy of terror podcast so uh, i'm putting myself about there
0: Thank you, sir. And thank you for joining me for this. And, yeah, we'll be back the next time to discuss. No
3: worries. Uh, we're,
0: we're go- it's going to be great. We're going to be pissing around in the next one. And I'm not being rude. That's with one S. So, I'm gonna, <laughs> so I'm, I guess we'll sign out of this one. And I'm actually going to go and uh, fry up some mackerel, uh, uh, put on a big plate of cheese. And I am on page 10,473 of the OVRE. I am reading Hellbender, <laughs> which should be great. So I'll t- talk to you guys next time. <laughs> this is, this is Dan, Amanda Dan. That is episode sixty-five. Thank you everyone for listening and hey Gorbline is back. Little Man to Man with Dean learner. Awesome. Let's see. Where are we? What's going on? What's happening? Eventually, Supertrain.blogspot.com is the website. Eventually, Super Train over on Facebook is the group. Uh, let's see. At eSuperTrain1 on Twitter. Uh, eSuperTrain at Yahoo.com is the email address. Uh, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud. If you can leave a review, please do. It's much appreciated. Next time. More uh, Last Precinct, more Eerie Indiana, and more Man to Man with Dean Lerner. And I couldn't decide if I should end this episode with another Riff Party 3000, or just end it. After considering it for a long moment, I decided to do this.